Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. David doesn't brood over his problem. No, he started speaking to himself about God's glory and majesty and the nature of God's love and the promise of God's mercy. Oh, my soul, wait silently on the Lord. When life's circumstances knock you down, where do you turn? Today we're learning to take shelter in God alone. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy, Senior Pastor at Kindred Community Church in Anaheim Hills, California. Philip is opening to Psalm 62 to share a message titled, Our Only Hope. It's a lesson that challenges us to develop a robust and unrelenting trust in God so we will not be shaken. Pastor Philip is continuing a study that examines the Psalms of trust and the statements of faith. Access the series at ktt.org. Here's Philip. Come to look at a wonderful psalm this morning, Psalm 62, where we find a calm resolve to wait for God for salvation. So keep your Bible open. I hope you have an ear to hear what the Spirit of God wants to say to our church. Psalm 62. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. My soul waits silently for God alone. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God, my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree a lie. If they are wet in the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you rendered each one according to his work. Psalm 62. A message I've entitled, Our Only Hope. The theologian and Old Testament scholar, Bruce Walke, tells the story of a man attempting to cross a frozen St. Lawrence River in Canada. He wasn't sure if it could hold him, and so he got to the edge of the river, which had been frozen over, and he tapped it with his foot. And then he got down, and he pressed it with his hand, and then he began to cross the river, but he did it on all fours. He began to crawl across the river. He was anxious to know that the river could hold him up. The last thing he wanted to do was drown as the ice might crack and the river might swallow him up. 
He was about halfway across, still very nervous, when he heard a thunderous noise behind him. And when he looked back, he noticed there was a team of horses drawing a carriage that was coming down the road towards the river. And to his astonishment, when they got to the edge of the river, they didn't stop, and they came thundering across the St. Lawrence River and passed him as he was on all fours. And as they passed him, he looked up and with growing embarrassment realized that he had shown so, so little trust in the ability of the ice to hold him. And there he sat, turning a deep crimson red Now, the reason I tell you that story is because as we come to Psalm 62, this psalm is an embarrassing lesson on faith. Because you and I are going to be introduced to a man whose life is under threat, where circumstances are crippling, and yet he says that indeed he will not be moved. He declares an unshakable trust in God. Four times he will tell us that his trust is in God alone. And to borrow the words of the New Testament, he expresses a peace that passes human comprehension. Or to borrow the words of Isaiah the prophet, he expresses a peace because his mind is fixed on God. And so I want us to come and look at Psalm 62. And perhaps we will be embarrassed by the depth of this man's trust in God. And that's the point of one of these Psalms of trust. It's challenging us not to doubt, not to despair. It's challenging us to go from faith to faith in God. So let's come to Psalm 62. And here we we have a psalm that's calculated to help us in the matter of trusting God in troubling times. This is the testimony of King David. He's expressing trust, confidence, and hope centered in God alone. If you study this psalm, there's no lament. There's no complaint. There's no protest. There's no confession of sin. This is a psalm singularly focused on God and singularly calculated to challenge you and I to put our trust in God alone. I've been reminded, and I think you have too, given your feedback, that the book of Psalms, the Psalter, is a blessing to God's people. It has been true across history. Martyrs have died with it upon their lips. The Scottish Covenanters who were butchered on the hills of Scotland died in the confidence of the truths of the book of Psalms. And as I thought about that, I thought about three things just quickly about the Psalms. They speak to us, they speak for us, and they help us speak. Write that down and think about it. The Psalms speak to us, for us, and they help us speak. The Psalter is inspired, profitable instruction, in a number of fields, it speaks to us about the doctrine of God. God has put on wonderful display in the book of Psalms, His majesty, His power, His mercy, His faithfulness, His governance, His providence. Not only do we have the doctrine of God, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many messianic Psalms. Jesus makes reference to that, doesn't he? Luke 24, beginning with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, he spoke the things concerning himself. We saw Psalm 22, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Psalm 23, the great shepherd who equips his saints unto every good work. And the chief shepherd, 1 Peter 5, who comes back for his faithful servants. Psalm 22, speaks about Jesus' crucifixion, need I say more? 
The Psalter speaks to the doctrine of God, the gospel of Christ. It speaks to the nation of Israel, and it gives us the purpose of creation. Again and again, we're reminded that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The Psalms remind us, they speak to us, that the bird was made to fly, the fish was made to swim, and man was made for God. God is man's environment. There is no life without life in God. But it not only speaks to us, it speaks for us. They accurately reflect human life. There is no better study in humanities than the book of Psalms. There's no joy that you and I will experience, no sorrow that you and I will enter, that this Psalter doesn't capture and address. I love the Psalms. We love the Psalms because they equip us to handle our emotions, to express those emotions to God. They help us to interpret life. They give us a lens through which to look at human experience. The old Scottish pastor, John McNeil, said of Psalm 23, just as an example, I feel sometimes I wrote it myself. But not only do the Psalms speak to us, not only do the Psalms speak for us, but the Psalms help us to speak. They give us a vocabulary. They give us a liturgy and a language by which we can express our heart to God. Growing up in Northern Ireland in the Rothkill Baptist Church and in among Irish Baptists, I'm thankful for that heritage. As I listen to people pray, they spoke in the language of Scripture and often the words of the Psalms. They prayed back to God what God had spoken to them. And that's what the Psalms do. They give us a vocabulary by which we can express our fears, confess our sins, and describe our love for God. It's beautiful. Think about this. As we grow in our knowledge of God, we will grow into the words of the Psalms. I think it was Basil the Great who said, the Psalms are the voice of the church. The Psalms are the voice of the church. They give voice to the people of God. Okay, having said that, let's jump right in here. I want us to look at three things. We're going to break the psalm down as it's broken down by the poetic punctuation, Selah. It's verses 1 through 4, verses 5 through 8, verses 9 through 12. The psalm breaks up well, and there's three things. The attack, verses 1 to 4, the affirmation, 5 to 8, and the admonition, 9 to 12. Let's just look at the first thought, the attack. Having made his opening statement, truly my soul silently waits for God, from him comes my salvation. Having made that statement, that declaration of dependence upon God, something he'll come back to in verses 5 and 6. David goes on a terror. David goes on a tirade against his enemies, those who are attacking him, those who are assaulting him. Look at verse 3. How long will you attack a man? An interesting Hebrew word at its root is a word that speaks to shout. It's the image of a mad crowd of people who are running towards someone, shouting and hollering. It's intimidating. It's frightening. And David is feeling that. He's under attack. He's under assault. He addresses his enemies. In fact, I was reading a list of Murphy's Laws just the other day. You know, kind of the Murphy Law idea of, you know, what can go wrong, will go wrong. Here's a couple of the ones I read. Nothing is as easy as it looks. Everything takes longer than you think. If anything can go wrong, it will. 
Inside every large problem is a series of small problems struggling to get out. Whatever hits the fan will not be evenly distributed. That's another Murphy law. I like this one. Friends come and go, but enemies accumulate. And that's what's going on in Psalm 62. Enemies are accumulating. Now, as we look at Psalm 62 in the opening verses 1 to 4, you can see that the language of verse 3 tells us that this attack was damaging. This attack was damaging. Now, my preferred translation, the New King James, translates the Hebrew in a way that David is pronouncing a judgment on his attackers. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. But there is an argument and a justified translation, and most other translations actually don't translate the Hebrew in a way in which David is pronouncing judgment on his attackers, but the text is speaking about what they're attempting to do on him. If you've got an ESV, it'll read something like this, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall and a tottering fence? What an image. I like that translation. I, I think it can be justified David's like a leaning wall. He's like a tottering fence. One more push, and he's over. The implication of the image is he's on the edge of defeat and despair. The hour is late. The noose is tightening. The problem is really, really bad. What an image. It's an image of weakness. It's an image of vulnerability. If we were to kind of put it in modern language, it's about kicking a man when he's down. So the wall is leaning, the fence is tottering, you just push it over. When a guy's down, you add your boot to the issue. So the language of verse 3 tells us the attack is damaging. The language of verse 4 tells us the attack is deceitful. Look at verse 4. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They're going to bring him down. How are they doing it? By deceit. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. It would seem that David's enemies are his friends, turned enemies. This is a story of political and palace intrigue. David was the target of envy and duplicity. David was surrounded by two faced deceivers. In fact, you see this in the language of Psalm 52, which may be a psalm addressing Absalom's rebellion and especially Ahithophel's treachery against David. And I want you to notice the, the language of David in Psalm 55. It plays into the language of Psalm 62. In verse 12, he says this, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it, nor it is one who hates me, who's exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him, but it is you a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance, kind of my friend. If you go over to verse 21, the words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Betrayal is afoot. Treachery is afoot. And David is the target. And this attack, this assault is damaging and it's deceitful. Remember what I said, the Psalms speak to us, for us, and help us speak? Are you tottering on the edge of despair like a leaning wall and a tottering fence? This Psalm's for you. Are you feeling the sting of betrayal by a false friend? This Psalm is for you. 
Are you under assault and under attack by an enemy? This psalm is for you. So let's move on. We've not only got the attack, verses 1 to 4, now we've got the affirmation, verses 5 through 8. These verses are confessional in tone. Remember we said in verses 1 to 2, David makes an opening statement about his trust in God. Now he comes back and doubles down on it in verses 5 and 6, and then he adds to it in verses 7 through 8. In the midst of the betrayal, in the midst of the battle, David confesses and affirms his rock-solid trust in God alone. Although his life resembles the leaning tower of Pisa, it hasn't yet toppled. He hasn't surrendered to the circumstances. His enemies haven't been able to defeat him. Why? Because if you look at his language, God is his rock, and God is his salvation, and God is his defense, and God is his refuge. He just piles metaphor on top of metaphor to speak about the fact that God has been his security and his shelter. He remains unmoved. And I can identify with that image. As many of you know, for Six years I worked out of North Belfast in the RUC during the troubles in Northern Ireland, and we had a station there called Antrim Road RUC Station. And if you'd ever seen it, it was a fortress. It had large blast-proof walls. We had electronic surveillance. It was a fortress more than a police station. And when we went out on a foot patrol, when we left it, you were leaving security and a sense of safety. And after maybe four or five hours pounding the pavement on a foot patrol in North Belfast, I'm telling you, when you were heading back in about 11 or 12 o'clock at night, it was a sight for sore eyes. I often prayed and whispered under my breath, Lord, if I've got this far, get me through the gates. Because that was a fortress. That brought a sense of security and safety. And that's the language of the psalmist. And God is that to him. And he has found his shelter in God. He is expressing a quiet in the midst of a storm. The question is, how did he do it? I think there's several contributing factors. Let's begin with one. What I call the persuasion. Look at verse 5. He's speaking to himself. Now remember, in verses 1 to 4, he speaks to his enemies. How long will you attack a man? But now he speaks to himself in the midst of his enemies, my soul, wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. This is what I call the persuasion. He persuades himself. He has a conversation with himself. He educates himself about God. He preaches the gospel to himself in the midst of this trial. What we have here is self-exhortation. That's not the first time David will have done this. Many of you know your Bible, and you know 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, where it says, And David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, it's not what we seek to do every morning when we get our maybe Spurgeons morning and evening, or we open our Bible and work through our Bible systematically with McShane's, you know, once a year program or whatever it is. We seek every day to speak to ourselves and allow the Word of God to speak into our conversation. And it's so important. This is one of the keys to enjoying quiet in the midst of a storm. And it's so important. I mean, listen, he has talked about his enemies who are his friends, and the issue is real, and the threat is overwhelming. David is like a wall that's leaning. One more push, and it might be the end of him. But here's what I notice. Although he addresses them, 
He doesn't brood over his problem. So important. He didn't brood over his circumstances. He didn't go in on himself. No, he started speaking to himself about God's glory and majesty and the nature of God's love and the promise of God's mercy. Oh, my soul, wait silently on the Lord. Listen, the human soul cannot remain constant in its confidence in God without exhortation. That's just a fact. It's not like one sermon will do you for a week. It's not like, you know, one daily reading will do you for three days. I want to tell you something. You might read your Bible in the morning, and by lunchtime, you need to keep exhorting yourself in terms of your confidence with God. You need to keep preaching the gospel to yourself. You need to keep reminding yourself of the nature of God's covenant with His people, the wonder of God's sovereign love in Jesus Christ, the promise of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, where He has sealed us on the day of redemption. That's the stuff you got to keep going back to. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth. Today's broadcast is the start of the final message in our series, Psalms of Trust, Statements of Faith. Listen to today's complete message online at ktt.org. Look for the sermon titled, Our Only Hope. Philip, today you encourage us to remember who God is, our Redeemer, our Protector, and our only hope. That's because at Know the Truth, it's our mission to always point men and women to the goodness and grace of God available in Jesus Christ. That's right, Wien. Know the Truth exists to share the gospel with the world in need of truth through the preaching of the Word of God, so that believers are, one, encouraged daily in their faith to learn and live biblically, so that, two, they're equipped to serve their local church and community, and so that, three, they become engaged in sharing the gospel everywhere as they go. Through expositional preaching and teaching, Know the Truth provides pastoral and theological content that is bold, clear, and convicting. And we remain committed to standing firm for Christ and on the unchanging truth of His Word. It's God's Word that transforms lives. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's why it's our goal to provide people of all ages and all stages of life the opportunity to read, listen, and watch biblical teaching for free through daily broadcasts, podcasts, streaming channels, published resources, social media, conferences, and more. But we can't do it without you, our listeners. It's your listening, sharing, and giving that keeps Know the Truth on air and sharing the gospel with thousands of listeners each day. So, we hope you'll continue to listen each day, and you'll also join us on this venture, even adventure, of helping others know the truth. Wayne, could you tell them how they can get further involved? I sure will. Thank you, Philip. The best way to get involved in the ministry work here at Know the Truth is by becoming one of our Truth Ambassadors. These monthly supporters help cover the many costs it takes to plan, produce, and distribute Know the Truth, both on the radio and the Internet. Their faithful monthly gifts help reach men and women all over the country and world with God's Word at no cost to them. Truth Ambassadors also receive exclusive resources from Pastor Philip, including a special welcome package, a monthly newsletter just for them, and a copy of each monthly resource. And this month, our resource is a book by Tim Challies titled, Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God. 
Whether it's you or a friend, this book is for anyone who has loved and lost and could use some encouragement. Learn how God is still sovereign over loss, how to pass through times of grief while keeping your faith, and how biblical doctrine can work itself out even in life's most difficult situations. And when your gift is $40 or more, you'll also receive the Psalms of Trust personal devotional booklet, a helpful companion resource for our current series. So call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. You can also write to us, address your envelope to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. One more thing, if you'd like to stay up to date on all things Know the Truth and receive encouraging posts on your social media feed, just search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and click follow. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us again next time for more convicting and encouraging Bible teaching from Philip DeCourcy. That'll be next time, right here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free.